1: Hello, you spooktacular people. Welcome to this 39th episode of the History Goes Bump podcast.
0: Ghost tours for the theater of the mind.
1: I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. And today we are going to Aspen, Colorado to check out Hotel Jerome. This is another one of those old historic buildings in one of those old mining towns in Colorado. Most people think of Aspen and they think glitz, glamour, the famous, the rich. There was a time when it was a little bit of a different
0: place. And of course, um, if you're from Colorado or those areas that had those old mining towns, you do know that a lot of urban legends always came around because of all the creepy stuff that came out of the the rumors of the mountains, kind of.
1: And, of course, not just urban legends, hauntings. Hauntings, yes. (laughs) So stay tuned for that. Before we get into that, we do want to thank Mary. She's one of our most supportive listeners. She sent us a really nice comment over on Facebook and just let us know that we helped her get through a rough night, and uh, we just really appreciated that commentary from you. Mary, it's always great to hear from our listeners about the difference that we make in their lives, and that's one of the reasons why we do this. We hope we're touching people and at least giving you some entertainment, maybe a little bit more, and uh, we appreciate you guys and you, Mary, of course. Even if you did call us goofballs, and but in a nice way. Hey, we are goofballs. I mean, <laughs> that's, that's just the truth. And Denise always denies giggling. And Mary said, uh, Denise, you giggle. <laughs> See, I have somebody backing me up now. You giggle, not so much. Yes, you do.
0: <laughs> so, what's the difference between a laugh and a giggle? I laugh. Okay, here's a laugh. <laughs> here's a giggle.
1: <laughs> 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 that's what you do that's right there you just did it <laughs> that's a laugh just as a wah-ha-ha now that we've just blown out the ears of everybody <laughs> who has earbuds in their head listening on their iPods sorry about that we also got a wonderful email from a 17 year old listener from Australia yeah, so
0: we still have our listeners coming from down under very exciting oh
1: I tell you what, and you know, we love it when you guys send us feedback and we get a, a few sentences here and there or a comment over on the website or something telling us that you love the podcast. And of course, uh, this listener, her name is Freya. I think that's how you say it. I'm, I hope I'm getting it right. If not, I will verify that later. But she let us, she said she loves the podcast, but that it creeps out her little sister. Hey, we're creeping out the kids. So, Diane is thrilled. I am absolutely thrilled. If she came to my house on Halloween, she'd really be scared.
0: Yeah, so I don't know if we mentioned this on our Halloween um, podcast we or did. our podcast around Halloween Yeah. Diane's whole goal is to scare the children of the neighborhood.
1: Hey, if they're under six, I hide and don't do anything to them. I
0: know, and I usually meet them at the bottom of the driveway with the candy anyway, so they don't have to come up to- towards
1: creepy But what the point I was trying to make about Freya's email is that I open it up and I'm reading the first paragraph and then I'm like, oh, there's another one. And then another one. She wrote us a mini book (laughs) and it was fabulous. It was so fabulous that we're trying to work it out that we can possibly bring a little something special to the listeners in the near future here.
0: Yeah. So don't quit listening now because there's going to be good
1: things right
0: around the corner.
1: Indeed. Indeed. And if you want to see other good things, head over to our website, historygoesbump.com. Do you like that segue there?
0: That was a great segue. I'm glad you pointed it
1: out to everybody. <laughs> so in case anybody missed. <laughs> that means Denise wasn't paying attention because she was sipping her iced coffee over there.
0: I paid attention because I thought to myself, good segue. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <great.
1: laughs> But... Anyway, check out our website, (laughs) historygoesbump.com. It's got everything you could want to know about the show there, where to find us, all over the internet, where to listen to us, how to donate to us if you want to help support the show. And this is an entirely listener-supported show, so we do appreciate those donations. And please sign up for our email newsletter. We do send those out about one or two a month, sometimes three. Just kind of depends upon what mood I'm in. And you not only get the audios from the different podcasts, but we also send out interesting articles, information about events, maybe just some cute updates on some of the behind scenes about the show and that kind of thing. So please sign up for the newsletter. It's entirely free to you. Also, we'd love to have you join us at the Spooktacular Crew over at Facebook. And, of course, we always appreciate you following us on Twitter and liking our Facebook page. And Denise, if they'd like to send us feedback like Freya did, then they would do
0: that at History Goes Bump. At gmail.com.
1: All right. Well, I think it's time for us to jump into our Learjet, darling, and head on up to Aspen.
0: (laughs) I already said it before, but (laughs) that always reminds me of that shirt where, how's your (music) Aspen?
1: like to support the show please visit our patreon page at patreon.com forward slash history goes bump or perhaps you just want to make a one-time donation click the donate button on our website at historygoesbump.com
0: The following account comes to us from historyweird.com. In October 1852, Edward Horatio Gerling, an employee at London Zoo, died after being bitten by a five-foot cobra. A post-mortem on Gerling's corpse showed that the cobra had bitten him five times on the nose. One of these bites had penetrated to the nasal bone and bled profusely. Gerling was rushed to hospital by cab, a journey that took 20 minutes. While in the cab, his head swelled to an enormous size and his face turned black. Once at hospital, Gurling was given artificial respiration and electrical shocks. Neither was successful and he died 35 minutes after arrival. After ascertaining how Gerling died, an inquest investigated how he had come to be bitten in the first place. Early press reports put it down as a homicidal serpent. One suggested the cobra had bitten its victim with murderous intent. Another had it lunging from the shadows while Gerling was delivering food to the enclosure. It did not take long for the inquest to discover that Gurling was responsible for his own demise. One of Gerling's work colleagues, Edward Stewart, the hummingbird keeper, testified at the inquest. He claimed to be passing by the snake enclosure with a basket of larks when he saw Gurling inside. Apparently showing off, Gurling picked up the boko, a mildly venomous colubrid snake, by the neck. According to Stewart, Gurling then said, Now for the cobra. Deceased took the cobra out of the case and put it inside his waistcoat, and it crawled round from the right side and came out of the left side. Gurling drew it out and was holding the cobra between the head and middle of the body when it made a dart at his face. Stewart and other witnesses also testified that Gurling was drinking ample quantities of gin at breakfast time. A zookeeper named Baker told the inquest, quote, he believed that the deceased was intoxicated, end quote. It was also noted that Girling had a little, if any, experience with venomous snakes. He had only recently started working at the zoo after employment with the railways. Unsurprisingly, the coroner found that Gerling had died as a result of his own rashness whilst in a state of intoxication. Now, that certainly was odd.
1: the cover's up
0: tight that chill you feel isn't the air
1: conditioning <laughs> This Day in History On this day, April 9th in 1917, the Battle of Arras begins during World War I the offensive was planned by the British, and it was set to begin on April 8th, but it was delayed. Sleet and snow fell on April 9th, but the offensive went forward, led by Field Marshal Douglas Haig. The British went with a frontal assault on Observation Ridge, just east of the French city of Arras. The Canadian troops were led by General Julian Bing, and they went after the Vimy Ridge, and they were very successful by using a creeping barrage and heavy machine guns. The Canadian Corps also used a new tactic in warfare, where entire platoons were directed what their objectives were, so that even if their commanding officer was killed, they could press forward knowing exactly what their job was. They achieved a position that gave them visuals of the German rear area on the plain of Douai. They paused there as darkness came. The British were successful too in taking parts of Montreal. This area was full of trenches and many of the trenches were cleared on that first day. These initial successes were followed by stalemate. The Battle of Arras would continue until May 16th. In the end, 160,000 British and 125,000 Germans lost their lives during the battle. There had been considerable advances, but no breakthrough, so the battle was not considered a direct success.
0: The History Goes Bump Podcast Hotel Jerome is located in the heart of the city of Aspen in the Rocky Mountains of Colorado. The luxury hotel provides high-end amenities in a truly historic building. Hotel Jerome was built by a man who wanted it to be a model of excellence for years to come. And it has been that, but it has also been something else. The Hotel Jerome is apparently so luxurious that some guests never wanted to leave forever. The Hotel Jerome is haunted.
1: The precious metal, silver, is at the heart of the development of many of the mountain towns in Colorado that still survive today. The Colorado silver boom began in 1879 when a load was discovered in the town of Leadville. This followed the Colorado gold rush of 1859 and it was more lucrative. When the silver boom was finished, $82 million worth of silver had been mined. The Hotel Drome has its roots in the silver boom as well. The hotel was built during the heart of the silver boom in 1889, by a man who was heavily invested in silver mining, Jerome B. Wheeler. And Denise, something interesting happened when I was doing some of the research here. I was like, is silver considered a precious metal or is it a mineral? I've always thought it was a precious metal. But when you look on the periodic table, silver is considered a mineral on there, I believe. So I thought, okay, I don't want to look like an idiot. So I will go ahead and investigate this. And did you know that silver is both a precious metal and a mineral?
0: Oh, that's cool.
1: Yeah. So it's one of the few things out there that is considered both.
0: Jerome Wheeler was born in 1841 in Troy, New York. His parents, Mary Jones Emerson and Daniel Barker Wheeler, were both from Massachusetts originally. They eventually moved the family to Waterford, New York. Fun fact here is it's home to the largest annual tugboat festival. And Jerome attended school there. He liked engineering and got involved in mechanical engineering and machinery. By the time he was 20, the Civil War had started, and he joined the fight, enlisting with the 6th Regiment, New York Volunteer Cavalry. He was very successful, working his way up to 2nd Lieutenant and then Colonel. An act of heroism got him demoted shortly thereafter. A regiment of Union soldiers was socked in behind enemy lines and in a desperate need of supplies. Wheeler's superiors decided that it was too dangerous to get the supplies to these men. Wheeler, however, was committed to helping them, and he went against orders, successfully bringing supplies to the men who were starving. After the demotion, Wheeler left the army. For those interested in this, the website civilwarcalvary.com has an extensive history of Wheeler's service.
1: And we have it linked up there so that you guys can check that out. I started to get ready to write some stuff, and I went, this goes through his entire military career and didn't think people would necessarily want to listen to that unless they're military historians. So we have that there if you'd like to check that out. Little uh, fun fact also about Mary Jones Emerson. Do you know where she gets that last name from? Well, I'm thinking from the writer Emerson. Indeed. She is related to Ralph Waldo Emerson. And he's like, uh, I don't know, a second cousin, somewhat removed or something of that nature. Now, Emerson, that's about Walden Pond, correct? No, you're no. thinking Walt Whitman. Oh, okay. Never mind. But Ralph Waldo Emerson, he was, I, don't, I wouldn't call him a poet, but he wrote a lot of um, philosophical type stuff. He was a He's a great writer. I have one of his books sitting right here. Wheeler worked several jobs as a bookkeeper in Troy and then New York City, joining Holton Company in 1869, where he eventually was made partner. Wheeler met Harriet Macy Valentine during this time and the couple was married in 1870. And yes, the name Macy means that she's related to the family that founded Macy's. She was the niece of Roland Hussey Macy, who started R.H. Macy & Company. Wheeler eventually became a 45% partner in the company and stayed with it until 1888 when competition from other department stores began to grow. He and Harriet decided to make a trip to Colorado in 1883 and they fell in love with Colorado, particularly the mountains. Wheeler had heard about the vast mining operations in Aspen and Leadville and he decided to buy into them. The name Wheeler would eventually become synonymous with Aspen as he developed many parts of the town. Wheeler began
0: with building a tramway for an aspen mine that made the transportation of the ore easier. The silver needed to be smeltered after it was mined, and so he built a smelter at the base of the mountain. He started the Croesus Gold Mining and Milling Company, of which he served as president. He invested in the Colorado-Midland Railway and built the Wheeler Opera House in Aspen. He also built a bank, a mountain tramway, and the Wheeler Stallard House, which was the home where he never actually lived. And then he built the Hotel Jerome, which bears his name.
1: The Hotel Jerome was not Wheeler's idea. He first offered to finance the project and loaned $60,000 to two Kansas innkeepers, Bixby and Phillips, who wanted to rival the Ritz in Paris. Wheeler also donated the land upon which the hotel was built. Construction was not going as Wheeler had wanted, and costs began to balloon. Isn't that what always happens when they're building stuff?
0: <laughs> Every single time.
1: I don't even know why people say, here's our budget, and we're about to break it wide open. Bixby and Phillips eventually skipped town, and Wheeler took over the entire project and was stuck investing more money, which came to a total of $150,000 that equals $1. $1.6 in today's dollars. The hotel rose to three stories and was constructed from red bricks and sandstone that came from nearby kilns. Handmade Colorado tile was used to decorate the interior, and elaborate wall coverings were installed. The first elevator west of the Mississippi was also installed in this hotel. The completed hotel had 90 guest rooms and 15 bathrooms. And to top all that off, the hotel was the first in the west to have electricity. The grand opening was celebrated with a ball and banquet, and every room was lit by electric lights.
0: These early years in the late 19th century were booming for the hotel, Stars of the stage and opera, politicians, and the very rich all flocked to the Hotel Jerome. The invention of the Pullman sleeping car made train travel a wonderful experience and helped bring in more people to Aspen. Wheeler decided to sell the hotel to a Denver man named Fisk, who soon found he could not pay the taxes, and Wheeler eventually became the owner again. Hard times were looming, though, as the silver market crashed during the Silver Panic of 1893. Congress repealed the Sherman Silver Purchase Act a year later and the silver boom was officially over. Colorado mountain towns began to crash after this with many people leaving town and businesses going out of business. Wheeler was hit hard as well and had to declare bankruptcy eventually in 1903 and he lost the Hotel Jerome in 1910, unable to pay the taxes for the building. He dies in 1918 in Manitou Springs.
1: A traveling Syrian-American drummer, Mansur Elisha, had come to Aspen and he took a job as bartender at the hotel. He bought the hotel in 1911 for the amount of the back taxes. With few visitors coming to Aspen, the hotel became a boarding house. A flu epidemic swept through the town in 1918 and the parlor was used as a morgue since it was one of the largest buildings in Aspen. The year 1919 brought Prohibition. Boy, we sure talk about that a lot on this show. And Elisha decided to change the bar into a soda fountain to keep it going. So I thought that was kind of creative. Exactly. Liquor still worked its way into some of the offerings, and a concoction of vanilla ice cream mixed into a shake and spiked with bourbon became known as the Aspen Crud. It's probably what it gave you the next morning. (laughs) (laughs) Something. I have the Aspen crud. That still served in the bar at the hotel to this day. The population of Aspen declined and rent at the Hotel Jerome was cheap. The building suffered heavy neglect at this time and was getting pretty run down.
0: Alicia died in 1935 and left the hotel to his son. The Hotel Jerome was about to find itself in the boom of another industry on its way to Aspen, skiing. U.S. Olympic bobsledder Billy Fisk came to Aspen and saw potential for a ski resort. He bought land and formed the Highland Bavarian Ski Club. The club built its first ski lodge and the first two ski guides for the lodge stayed at the Hotel Jerome during the construction of the lodge for five weeks. The U.S. Army's 10th Mountain Division trained on skis in the nearby area and they traveled down to the Jerome one night where Lawrence Alicia let them stay and offered to let the soldiers stay and have a state dinner for a dollar whenever they liked.
1: In 1946, U.S. industrialist and philanthropist Walter Papeke, I think that's how you say his last name. It's kind of crazy, traveled to Aspen with his wife. They saw a Victorian charm in the rundown buildings of the town, and they bought up many of the properties, which included Hotel Jerome. He started the Aspen Institute and the Aspen Skiing Company. His investing into the Aspen Skiing Company allowed the completion of the longest ski lift anywhere in the world. Pepke started renovating Hotel Jerome, and one of his additions angered the locals. He actually painted the beautiful red brick exterior gray. A pool and pool house were added. After the renovations, movie stars started pouring in for vacation. Those stars included Lana Turner, Gary Cooper, and John Wayne. But then the hotel hit hard times once again and shut its doors in 1956.
0: John Gilmore of Michigan decides to buy the Hotel Jerome in 1968. The place had been closed for 12 years and it was a wreck. The walls had become unstable and the roof leaked. Gilmore does not have the money to restore the building and he makes attempts to get investors to help him. He's only successful in paving the way for future restoration at zoning meetings. Another fun fact. In 1977, serial killer Ted Bundy escaped from the Aspen Courthouse. It is not until 1984 that the Hotel Jerome is bought by a group of investors and they began renovations for the following year. The structural system was the first thing to be restored. Heating and plumbing was bought up to code. The gray paint was sandblasted off the exterior of the building, and the interior was refurbished to its former glory.
1: It's a little unsettling that Ted Bundy has lived in two of the same states we have, Colorado and Florida.
0: <laughs> I know,
1: and, and that he comes
0: up on this show quite often, too. He's His creepy. name does come up quite a bit. hmm
1: The J-Bar was a popular spot with writer Hunter S. Thompson, and it was refurbished to its original appearance in 1998. A ballroom was also added, along with a new rear wing, and guest rooms were refurbished in 2002. When Thompson died in 2005, his memorial was held in the ballroom. This same year, the Gaylord family bought the hotel for $33.7 million. They wanted to add a fourth floor, but the city would not approve the changes and kept delaying, so the family sold the hotel. The new owners would get caught up in the Lehman Brothers fiasco that occurred a few years ago, and the owners were foreclosed upon. Jerome Property LLC had conducted the foreclosure, and they took over the property. They were mired for a couple years in lawsuits with the city over taxes, but those seem to be gone now, and the Hotel Jerome is now under the management of, I think it's Auberge, Auberge Resorts. Another renovation was conducted in 2012. This updated the rooms, which now have iPads in the rooms.
0: So it goes from being totally historic to becoming iHuman.
1: Yeah, so I guess they figure we still have antiques in there, but iHumans can hang out. Can you tell we're Android people? (laughs) Although I do have an iPod, which is what I listen to my podcasts on. I know,
0: but we like to be together, not the same.
1: That's right. (laughs) I love their (laughs) campaign. Anyway, for any of our
0: iHuman people out there, we still love you. The hotel features standard rooms, suites, and luxury suites. There is a weight room two jacuzzis, a heated outdoor pool, and spa. The restaurant is managed by executive chef Rob Zack and features fresh local cuisine. But the hotel features something else that management does not advertise. This hotel quite possibly is haunted. As a matter of fact, the folks at Aspen Walking Tours claim it is the most haunted place in Aspen. Imagine that. I guess if you're going to have, I guess when we finally get our ghost tour together It'll have to be the most haunted ghost tour
1: You know, I was getting crazy thinking in my head And not just doing local ghost tours But Sherry Brakes is uh, a paranormal investigator And she does little gatherings at all these different haunted locations Mostly in Ohio and stuff And I thought, well that'd be kind of fun when we're going around to these places To do our own tours I have a feeling we're going to go global
0: How about international while we're at it? Isn't that global? Oh, yeah, it is.
1: <laughs> <laughs> now, do I save that for outtakes or do we just include it in this show? <laughs> Whichever place I'm, me, whether
0: I'm an outtaker or a real take, is <laughs> me in the flesh.
1: Global. And she's not even blonde, folks. I what? just
0: offended all our blonde listeners. Well,
1: I'm blonde, so there, with some gray. <laughs> Blonde going to silver, but that's okay. Yeah, okay, that's enough from the peanut gallery. The ghost that has countless sightings of him is that of a 10-year-old boy. His family was staying at the hotel in room 310 in 1936, and the boy drowned in the pool. Some people see him sitting in the corner of a hallway, shivering inside a towel. He then disappears, leaving only a wet spot. Sometimes he's walking and leaves behind only wet footprints. He occasionally is seen in room 310 as well.
0: Henry O'Callister was a silver prospector who came to Aspen in 1889. He found what he was looking for when he discovered a 1500 pound silver nugget. Feeling as though he were a rich man, he checked into the Hotel Jerome. While he was staying at the hotel, he met Clarissa Wellington of Boston and fell in love with her. Clarissa's father didn't think much of old Henry and he sent his daughter back to Boston. Henry was broken hearted and he squandered the fortune he had made, dying broke. He seems to have returned to the Hotel Jerome and has seen and heard walking the halls at night.
1: He sobs and wails. The third floor seems to be the most active and hotel staff do not like to work on the third floor for that reason. A long dead chambermaid seems to be doing some of the housekeeping for the staff. Kate Kerrigan joined the Jerome staff in 1892 when she was only 16. She was a beauty and many of the male guests took a liking to her. This made the other chambermaids jealous and they would tease her. One evening, the teasing went too far when another maid told Kate that her beloved kitty had fallen into a frozen pond. Kate rushed out to save it, and she fell through the ice. She caught pneumonia and died a week later. Kate apparently is still tending to her duties, and modern-day housekeepers will find beds already turned down for the evening when they go to do that job. Another maid claimed to smell a certain perfume in empty rooms, and that she found beds made when she entered rooms to clean Chris around the world commented on TripAdvisor about her stay at the Hotel Jerome and linked back to an article on her blog. Here is her account. Quote, I walked quickly through the building, trying not to catch a reflection in the mirrors. Turns out I should have been more worried about the room. When I entered, my friend Catherine, who'd skipped most of the ghost tour, had some questions for me. Why did you put the heat back on? She asked. When I came back into the room, it was on. And I know I turned it off before I left. I didn't touch the heat, I told her. Hmm, that's weird, She answered. We'd both been in the room during turndown service and specifically told the maid not to touch the heat. But that wasn't the end of the weirdness. And why did you leave the left sink full of water? Did you wash your face before you left? Catherine said. Because it was filled with soapy water when I came in. Let the record show that I had not used that sink all day. We examined the soaps in the dish. They were unused. We looked at each other in horror. Then Catherine dove into my bed with a shriek. Creepy! She shouted. Oh my God, I'm not going out in that hallway by myself again, I told her. Eventually, we did fall asleep in our own beds, but we kept the TV on all night as well as a light on in the bathroom, end quote.
0: Typical complaints by guests and staff include cold spots, sinks filling up on their own, and televisions turning themselves on and off. Are some of the previous guests still here at the hotel in spirit? Is the Hotel Jerome haunted? That is for you to decide.
1: And in the show notes today, we do have a link to the Aspen Walking Tours. They do feature ghost tours, cemetery tours, and just general daytime historic tours. So you can check that out at aspenwalkingtours.com. One of our little furry producers is sitting on Denise's lap, and she's panting heavily. It's kind of warm here in Florida. We're going to be in the 90s, and it's April.
0: It's very warm in Florida. Yes,
1: 90s is good. (laughs) We love our heat. That's why I'm drinking an Arnold Palmer here. And I'm drinking iced coffee rather than hot coffee. And for people who don't know what an Arnold Palmer is, it's lemonade and I mix it with sweet tea. Some people just mix it with regular iced tea. But I'm uh, a sweet tooth, so I like sweet and sweet. (laughs) That's why she likes me so much. Oh, brother. (laughs) I should have known it was leading into that. Well, we are so glad you guys joined us for this show. I'm not exactly sure what our next show is going to be because it kind of depends on scheduling and stuff. But make sure you come back because we do have some exciting shows coming up here. We are going to be going to three different countries in the next three shows.
0: And definitely stay tuned because pretty soon we're going to be taking you on the road with us in about a month. And you'll be traveling to six states with us, I believe.
1: Indeed. I'm figuring we'll do little 15-minute shots each day or something of that nature. And we will be staying at one haunted location overnight. Which happens to be my sister's farm. Oh, I was about to say, we are? She's <laughs> <laughs> like, what? No, we're not. We're which, staying in the camper. The, which campsite is haunted? There are campgrounds that are haunted. Yes, there are. There's we actually stayed at one when we went to... Um, yeah, when we stayed at Fort DeSoto down, down there in here in Florida. Indeed. Although we didn't hear or see anything. Apparently, the barn at my sister's farm has a ghost. So we'll see if we pick up anything there. I won't be sleeping in there.
0: No, and we better not pick anything up either because I want no ghosts following me
1: home. Well, I wasn't talking about having it follow us home. I just, you know. Oh, you we're... mean
0: that on the recording?
1: Yeah. Don't you know, tip
0: the spirits. I tell you this.
1: Our schedules have been so crazy lately. Uh, it's April. I work for myself, so I'm trying to get my taxes done, and I do it last minute because I have to pay. And I also joined Camp NaNoWriMo, which for people who don't know, Nano Rymo is usually something that happens in November and people sign up to write a 50,000-word book during the month. Well, in April, and I believe they do it in July too, they do Camp NaNoWriMo, so you can kind of put your own parameters on what you want to do. But I am writing book number two in a trilogy that I'm working on. So I've been trying to get that done and then getting these shows done, working full-time. It's been kind of crazy. So we're actually doing this when we're already supposed to be in bed. So that might be why Denise is a little you know. So what's been my excuse
0: for the other 38 episodes? (laughs) (laughs) But thanks, darling.
1: (laughs) I don't know. Again, thanks so much for joining us. I have been your host, Diane. And this has been Denise. You take care now. Bye-bye. This is Victoria from the ninth Story Podcast. You're listening to the History Goes Back Podcast. History isn't boring. It's terrifying. Especially when it goes back. Boo! Boo!